In this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast, we are live at the 2023 NBA Draft. It is late. It is <laughs> at least 1.34 in the morning while we are recording. It has been a very long day, but this is, this is like what we work hard for. So in this episode of the Locked On NBA Draft, me and my guy Richard Stamen right here, we are going to recap the 2023 NBA Draft. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Game Time. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. I'm your host, Rafael Barlow, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board and my co-host for today right here, my right-hand man, even though he's on my left side, Richard Stateman. All right, let's, let's just talk about your first NBA draft experience. This is my first NBA draft experience. What, what's, what's like your first thought? when you talk about this experience, when you talk about it five years, 10, 20 years down the line? Well, I think for starters, we are spoiled by having arguably the greatest draft. I mean, like this is a top five draft of the century, I would say. I know 2018, 2003, those are the big ones I can think of that are in that like same tier. And It's too early. It is too early, but I think just in terms of pre-draft hype, I think it's right up there at the least. Like Things could go wrong, of course, but uh, just pre-draft, I really do think this is one of the strongest classes, so it's very easy to get carried away by just the strength of it. I mean, the, the greatest prospect since LeBron James, maybe the greatest prospect ever, Victor Mwembenyama, hearing him called was chilling. But overall, it was really cool. It was similar to the Combine, but much more removed from things. Like There was a clear barrier, I think, in this regard of uh, from where we were compared to where we were like at the Combine, same spot. So I want to debate that, and, and I, I get it. I understand the hype about Victor being the greatest prospect ever, but is he a better prospect than Luka? Luka had a Hall of Fame career before the NBA. He was the EuroLeague ACB MVP, EuroLeague championship, all of that at 18 years old. The NBA just didn't know how to market him and create the hype around him like they have with Victor. Right. Because Luka won the EuroLeague, and as a person who's been over there, I understand that there's a huge difference between a EuroLeague and a French league. So I think the hype has made Victor, and it's definitely not a knock on Victor by any means. He deserves the hype, but I just think his pre-NBA career compared to Luca's pre-NBA career, I think it's totally different. I think it's different, too, though, because he's 7'5", has all the ball skills, has the motor, is going to on, and he's going to the best spot, I think, possible for him with Greg Popovich, too. All right. I still think Luca had the best <laughs> career. That's fair. Pre, it's just the whole hype. I mean, it's just all the hype around it. He saw Victor for the first time in person. I've seen him a few times. I was standing. What was your first impression when you saw? So, <laughs> so it's funny. My my first impression was I saw him at the red carpet and Jeremy Sohan was interviewing him. And I first noticed Jeremy Sohan, and then I go, "Who's that giant towering over him?" And then I realized it was Victor Wembanyama. And then we went down to the green room. The, it's not really a room. It's just. The floor. ball, yeah, it's literally just the floor. It's a certain half of the floor that we were allowed to be on. It's just half of it, you know, whatever. But and dude, I, I've never seen someone bigger in my life. Like I never will. Like seven foot five, 
he towered over everyone. I mean, even his dad was really tall too. I mean, mom and his mom his might be mom. taller than his dad. Yeah, and yeah. so like his, he is, he comes from a tall, tall family. So it's not that shocking, but it, he really just, he is skinny. Uh, but it's not like it's not like Chet Holmgren skinny. I think there's a lot of different types of skinny, uh, but he's just a massive human being. Yeah, I've I mean I've seen him in person a few times and stood by him. When I really got a feel how for how tall he was, it was in Vegas, and he walked up to the fans in like the front row, and he was taller than them when they were like, you know, standing <laughs> kind of like above the court. But the way he like stepped over like a group of like the first row of chairs, you know, like when you sit courtside, they have the chairs courtside. He walked over them like I walk over my son's toys. He just stepped over them effortlessly. That's when I knew like this dude is, is different. All right. Number two pick. We knew Vic was going number one. Not a surprise there. Number two pick. It was up and down. It was Brandon Miller, then all of a sudden it was school, and I did a bunch of radio appearances, and, and, and it's mostly like betting shows, and everything was saying, Scoot is now the favorite this morning. Something told me stick to my guns. I stuck to my guns, and, and Brandon Miller ended up going number two, which I like to fit. You don't necessarily like it. You're a Scoot guy. What do you think about the Hornets' choice? Yeah, I, we're going to debate some, I think, on this. I personally think they should have gone Scoot. I think... Brandon Miller is more a complimentary guy, whereas Scoot Henderson is kind of your, he's the face of the franchise potential more than Brandon Miller. And for a Hornets team that, I mean, I don't even know how committed either side really is to each other with LaMelo Ball. Obviously, he's about to be on his restricted free agency. He'll get a max deal. He's committed in that regard, but like, I, I just, I think there's a low chance he finishes out that contract, especially if the Hornets aren't winning a ton. And I mean, they're not going to be winning a ton this year either. I don't think they can overturn that roster, what they went through. They had some unexpected barriers. They're changing ownership. I think there's a lot of changes. And, and for that, LaMelo Ball has probably, I mean, three years before things, the pressure really starts hitting. And I don't think Brandon Miller really accelerates that. I think Scoot Henderson would have. I think so. I, I think Brandon Miller does. I still, and I've said it all along, and it's not a knock on Scoot. I feel like if people watched the second half of his G League season, if it was on TV, you would have saw a guy that just coasted and kind of shut it down. If Brandon Miller did the same thing, he would get totally, totally criticized. But Scoot's the media guy. The media loves Scoot. I think ever since the first game against Wimbayama and he had that showcase, people have fallen in love with him. I heard a few boos when Brandon Miller was selected. Yeah. Scoot definitely had a, a louder cheering section. And so I think that, um, you know, Scoot, Scoot is the guy that, well, put it like this, I think Mitch Kupchak has a lot of pressure on him. If Brandon Miller does not have a better year than school, that's going to be held over his head. I mean, he's probably close to retirement anyway, but that's, that's something that people will always, always, always will, will, will talk about. All right, let's talk about the Blazers. I'm a Blazers fan. I haven't really had time to just process it since it's <laughs> official, but I don't know what they're going to do. Lillard and Simons averaged about 52 points a game last year combined. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're bringing in another guard. And I think... I, one of the reasons why I like Brandon Miller is I feel like you can put him next to any player in the league, any star, and early in his career he can compliment him. Yep. Well, I think with Scoot, if you don't give him the keys to the franchise, then you're not going to get the best of him. And I don't know how the Blazers are going to get the best out of Scoot unless they move Damian Lillard. 
Yeah, I think they, they kind of put themselves in a corner now, having these three very just different but needy guards, like in terms of needing the ball. And I, I just I feel like they put pressure on themselves to either move Simons and try and make it work with Damian Lillard. I feel like though, even if they do move as much as possible, like I just I feel like you still top out as a second round team at best. I, I just I don't think it works with this core. And I think it's time to accept, hey, we have Scoot now for four years under cost control. He's a, he's a floor raiser. You have Anthony Simons who just started his second contract. I I, I for me I think you kinda gotta look at the timeline and it sucks because Damian Lillard has been this guy who has constantly said, I want to be here. I want to be in Portland. He's been one of the few loyal stars to a not, uh, to a, a small market, especially like Portland. A lot of those guys end up leaving. And, you know, it's it's kind of why guys aren't loyal as much because very well just might get traded. And now he has more control. But ultimately, I do agree. That is why I do think it would have been better for both sides to have, in my opinion, just having Scoot at two and Miller at three. I think you could have done a lot more damage this year for Portland if they had Miller than, than Scoot. But long term, like kind of like we've been debating, I would rather have Scoot, but it's just, again, for now, Miller would have been better for them. I got another debate. If Scoot's a floor raiser, why were the Ignite so bad? Yeah, I, I do think there's some context to it of, I mean, his only other point guard was is a teenager or in London Johnson and in London Johnson who really started maybe it's just the play style he was more I felt like he was more scoring guard too like he wasn't much like he's still learning how to be a pick and roll playmaker he's still a little bit raw in that regard he'll be good next year by the way name to remember but I, I don't think the night roster was like super great obviously like the whole point is for development and everything also, the injuries, I think it, it really does suck that he had to fight. He wasn't ever really getting 20 games in a row healthy. Mm-hmm. And I think that really hurts the rhythm, or really 15, to kind of lower the bar because they don't play a full, full season. But I think some of those injuries, if he played college basketball, he would have played through it. Yeah. And yeah. so I just think, like, the narrative is totally different if a college player shuts it down or if a college player is on a losing team, which we've seen Markel Fultz and Ben Simmons go number one on a losing team. I just think the criticism would be a lot harsher. All right, when we return, we'll have more draft talk from the 2023 NBA draft. But let's talk about bird dogs. Why? Because bird dogs make you look good. Bird dog stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. Bird dog shorts do exactly the same thing as Lululemon, but they fit way better. And they fit better because the shorts are not made out of this stiff and restrictive cotton. Bird Dog fixed the issue because they invented a cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki but stretches so you can get a way slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. And Bird Dog also uses an anti stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. So go to birddogs.com slash locked on NBA for a free Yeti style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash locked on NBA for a free Yeti style tumbler. You do not want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. Again, birddogs.com slash locked on NBA. Sure. All right, let's let's go to the Rockets at number four. I had heard some rumors last night that Portland <laughs> was interested in Amon Thompson. And I, and I talked to some people at OTE, and they heard that they had really strong workouts there. Of course, OTE is going to say that, but I don't think that they're lying. But I had someone ask me this question, and it was a scout. And he said, who has a better upside, 
between Scoot and Amon Thompson. And his point of view, it made me think I never thought of it from this perspective. He said, Amon's the better athlete. He said, Amon's bigger. Amon's longer. Has more defensive versatility. And he felt like if he, and I asked a question to my Twitter followers, if Amon hits all his, you know, if he maximizes all his gifts, he feels like he is the second best prospect in this class. What are your thoughts on that? Yes and no. I do think the big difference between the two is just the jump shooting, right? Scoot qualifies, I think, at a minimum as an average shooter, mm -hmm. whereas I think a best-case scenario for Amon Thompson is he flirts with being, like, near average. Mm -hmm. And I think that difference is so massive of Scoot's floor is his ceiling, and I think that's where the difference is because I was actually having this conversation with somebody else in the media before the draft a few hours before and saying, like, this draft is just so unique because – Amon Thompson really does feel, feel like a guy who should have been like kind of that number two guy where, yeah, there's risk, there's a lot of risk, but the ceiling is so high that you take a risk on him at, at some point at like number two. So I do think yes and no. I just The jump shooting is really for me where that difference comes in. Yeah, I, I guess it just depends on how you look at it, that Amon can improve as a shooter, but Scoot can't have the size to defend right. one through three, maybe even four to seven-foot wingspan. Some small, you know, when teams go small or whatever. I was shocked to see that his brother, Asur, went number five. And I know that's a guy that you're not as high on. And so um, where did you have him? I don't know. What did you have him on your last mock? Uh, well, on my on the one board? mock, I so on, on my board, I'll, I'll do that. Uh, I had him 10th. I think he qualifies more as a defensive specialist. I've seen labels as a point guard. He's not. Uh, he, he really struggled to attack the rim in the half court this year at OTE. Uh, rim protectors really deterred him. And in the NBA, that's not just going to change. The flip's not just going to switch going up that quick. So for me, that worries me. The jump shot's still far away. I know he's the better shooter, but it's, it's still a subpar trait of his. So ultimately for me, I, I wonder if he's just kind of going to end up being like a Tony Allen, like a defensive specialist. And that's still a really good career. I just don't know if the fifth pick is where you would want someone like that. So you think there's a huge difference between the two brothers? I, I do think so. I think Amon's such a better playmaker, and that alone is a massive difference. Can you – I mean, by the numbers, he's not. It's like 6.2 assists to 6.1 right. assists. But I, I can, like, counter – and say, well, if a sword didn't have the ball as much and his assist numbers were like a decimal point lower, well, what does that tell you? Yeah, I mean, he's great at reading defenses off screens. I mean, I, I think that's what it, for me, that's what it was. And also in transition, he did get a mm -hmm. lot of those assists in transition too uh, because that's where he got to handle the ball more. Amen was more of the half-court ball handler. But Asar still got a good number of reps. It wasn't like low sample size or anything like that. I think it was the transition passing and just the fact that look you get him off a screen where he's already beating his man all he has to do is it's a very quick and simple decision do I keep attacking the rim or do I kick it out to one of the corners or wings and, and generally he made the right decision on that like he's I will say those kids have such incredible feel for the game like I, I have knocks on them but it's not that they're bad it's just you know there's criticism with them and that's any top pick I mean said that's why I plant devil's advocate here because I'm like if he wasn't the primary and he averaged just as many assists and the turnover assist to turnovers were different. If he is the primary, 
does his numbers go from six assists to eight assists? I mean, there's so many questions with, with OTE, but I was shocked to see him go number five. Was that something that you were surprised at? Yeah, I thought they were going to take Taylor Hendricks or, or Jairus Walker. That's what I've been hearing. So number six was Orlando, and Orlando went with Anthony Black. You called it before. I thought <laughs> Anthony Black was going to go number eight to Washington. What, what made you feel like Anthony Black was – the guy for Orlando. Yeah, it's a few things. One, I mean, I'd, I'd heard he just blew away teams just talking to them with the interviews and the workouts and things like that. The the character is great for him. And that's something that I know Orlando really values. Markel Fultz is an unrestricted free agent next year. Cole Anthony is a restricted free agent next year. Jalen Suggs is a restricted free agent in two years. That's the entire backcourt for Orlando. Uh, they need another guard because, like, just that math doesn't add up to everybody staying. The, the money math, doesn't add up. The math isn't mathing. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I think for them it's – look, Anthony Black kind of compares to Markel Fultz with a more workable jump shot. Like, you start where Markel Fultz is now, and that's kind of what Anthony Black is in terms of, like, shooting because he is still far away, 70% from the line, 30% from three. It's not exactly ideal. But – like you got to trust the work ethic to get there, and he's a monster on defense, and that's really the identity Orlando wants to build. So I think they're going to try and consolidate those guards and keep Anthony Black as as that lead guard. I, I like Orlando's talent. I'm just concerned with the shooting. I'm concerned yeah. that, and they were good in the second half of the year. I think if they didn't get off to that horrendous start, they may have been at least a play-in team. Five and twenty-five. But the the shooting is 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 a concern for me. But you said something off camera, and, and we, we can just talk about Cam Whitmore, transition to that, about the teams that factor too much into interviewing. And you had mentioned that the good teams don't do Or was it workouts you were talking about? Uh, it was, I mean, just both. Like, they don't – basically what I said was, like, the best-run teams don't change – they don't scrap everything and go, dang, this guy interviewed better, We'd have to, but the tape was bad, but we trust the interview more. It's generally the tape matters, and the interview just kind of just fills in some gaps. Yeah, and I've, I've been talking to different teams, and I really think the interview portion is important. And I had heard that Cam Whitmore was just a, a really – bad interview in a sense but more so because you just can't really get a feel for him but I heard that his his team was trying to get out in front of that early and let teams know that he's an introvert he's 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 quiet he's not naturally you know talkative or it's just gonna wow you with interviews and I heard that played a role in why he why he fell but then there's other guys like the common thing I heard about Omax Olivier Maxence Prosper was he was the best interview and we saw that he moved up to, well, he went 24th, but he was a guy that prior to the combine, he, he wouldn't have went in the first yeah. round. What, what were your thoughts on Cam Whitmore sliding? Uh, he, I think there were already red flags on the court. The, the decision-making, the feel for the game, the processing speed, I would say are all well below average. Uh, just watching there's a play, I mean, I remember very vividly against St. John's, he does, an, he does a step back, he creates a space, and he sees both the cutter and he has the wide open shot, and he just freezes, and both of them have, are gone. And he kind of just puts himself in this situation. And that kind of stuff just wasn't abnormal. And when you're a top, here in theory, I mean, he was a top five pick probably mm -hmm. until this week. When you're a top five pick, you cannot be doing that. And things like that, when you interview poorly, if there were health issues, like that stuff, 
just it's a bad combination for him on draft week. And see, I think if he's in a situation like Michael Porter Jr., he'll be fine. Michael Porter Jr. Yeah. is not a yeah. playmaker. I know you probably saw like it was a screenshot. It was it was the game that that Denver lost in the finals where he goes up for like a jump shot yes. and there's like two guys open under the basket on the wing. And I remember like showing somebody that picture and they were like, oh, well, you got to put in the context how much time is left on the shot clock. And then I went to Synergy, pulled it up. It was like the score was like 2-0 and it was 17 seconds left on the shot clock. And, and Michael Porter Jr. would have been drafted just as high if not higher if he didn't have the back issues yep. and so it makes me wonder like not saying Cam Whitmore is Michael Porter Jr. but there's no way Cam Whitmore's medicals were worse than Michael Porter Jr.'s <laughs> yeah there's no way no chance no Porter had like a historically bad medical history and like the whole family being injured injury yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. like kind of glass <laughs> what did you think about Bilal, I, I had I, to be corrected a few times today because I was calling him Bilal, like an American, but it's Bilal. What did you think about him going, where did he go, number seven? Yep, He went number Washington. seven. Went, no, the Pacers drafted him, and then he got flipped to the Wizards at number eight. I had him at nine. I want to say I was probably the first person to mock him inside the top ten. I had him at nine, and then I heard yesterday he can go anywhere between six and eight. And I, I wrote it down in my article, but I didn't move him that high because I was like, I can't see him going ahead of Anthony Black because I thought A.B. was going to Washington. And I didn't think he would go ahead of Jairus Walker, which he ended up getting traded for. How surprised were you when you saw that Bilal Koulibaly went number seven to the Pacers. First of all, that's going to be an adjustment to all the times I've said his name wrong. Uh, but Bilal, right? I mean, that's you know the French twist. I, I don't want to. I don't want to just Americanize it. So I'm, I'm trying to say it right. Uh, but the French have a way of making everything sound true, a little cooler. True. <laughs> true. <laughs> uh, for me, it was. I mean, I I just started talking myself into him at six last night. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I, I was I was stuck in the airport, and I maybe that was just uh, me going crazy, but apparently not. I mean, seven was right there too. I think Washington just being in the spot they're in, they they have blown it up. Uh, they traded their three best players uh, or two best players, three if you count Chris Paul, um, and now they're starting at ground zero. They have nothing. They're trying to get all the assets they can, and starting this early, having all these guys that are going to be on. I mean, they got Bilal at, at year one. He has four years of cost control, uh, assuming everything goes right and they don't decline his option or anything. There's a lot to work with. Six, eight, seven, two wingspan. Uh, for me, he's great at so much right now. If he turns two of these kind of weaknesses, they're not like super weaknesses, but turns them into strengths, I, I think he's going to be a star. And that's ball handling, adding strength to really finish and lock up on defense. I think it'll help reduce some foul trouble too. And then just jump shooting. I think if he can really master two or three of the two of the three, he doesn't need to get all three. We're looking at a star, and if he masters all three, I mean, we're looking at somebody who is going to be a top three to five player in this draft. All right, before we do the last segment, I want to tell you about game time. Now, I just used game time for the first time a few days ago. I'm in New York, and I wanted to go to the Yankees game to watch Victor Wimbayama throw out the first pitch. So I went to game time, and it's as good as advertised. It wasn't stressful and it was fast, and it's the easiest way to buy tickets, whether it's sports, music, comedy, and theater. 
They have killer deals on last minute tickets and they have a best price guarantee. You can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun that you'll have. I was able to get three tickets to the Yankees game last minute for like 20 bucks a piece. So I'm not gonna plan months in advance because Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. And they have exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. And the Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. And you get the images of your seat right before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're set. And the tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email. All you have to do is download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off. Download the Game Time app today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Are you a person that goes back and, and looks at history as far as, like, past picks or past players of certain, like, archetypes? And I'm asking this because I spoke with a, a scout yesterday, and he's... He, he's aware of Bilal or Bilal. He likes his, you know, his talent. But he says, "I'm not risking my job on a French prospect outside of Victor Wembanyama." And he was like, "Name a French prospect that was projected to go high and that was actually good." And the projection stuff. I mean, I feel like if Tony Parker had been properly scouted. He probably would have gone higher. Like the French have, still have a good history. They have such a strong basketball history that I, I feel like there's no real indication to say that like the the French, but it's like, the, all their underdogs. Yeah, that is true. Uh, but I mean, in a way, Bilal was kind of an underdog until a few, like I mean, what 90 days ago? Yeah, that's that's true. But he was just saying like in the lottery, and he didn't count Joakim Noah, who probably counts as you know more so a little of an American. But he just mentioned from your your Killian Hayes to your Frank Nilakina to your Sekou Dumbuya's. I, I will say the difference between all those guys is aggressiveness. Bilal is so much more aggressive than all three of those guys ever were at the same age. Well, that was that's kind of like his concern in a sense is that. French players aren't known for being aggressive. So, but I mean, this was just just someone's opinion. What do you think of Jairus Walker with the Pacers? I think that was something that a lot of people love had it. mocked. I love it. I I think Jairus Walker's gonna fit beautifully with Rick Carlisle. We, I mean, we talked about Jairus Walker's lack of shooting or like mediocre shooting, and Rick Carlisle is gonna do a great job of reducing that shooting, well, those shooting weaknesses. I think he's gonna be an ultimate connector piece. I'm excited to see what he does. We're going to look at another Pacers all-rookie player, I think, this year. All right, Taylor Hendricks, 9 to Utah. Love it. You got, as somebody who can per defend the perimeter very well, as a forward front court player, you can have another rim protector. And more importantly, you can play him with Walker Kessler because he can stretch the floor at such a high level. And he passes, too. So I think there's going to be a lot. And you look at, uh, with Will Hardy's team, the emphasis was so heavily on ball movement. And Taylor Hendricks was really good at being that extra ball mover. I think he's going to fit in so perfectly in Utah. He might be the guy that I have the most concern about. Really? Why? Because if the shooting doesn't translate early... I think he, he's going to struggle. 
I mean, I think he can impact the game in so many other areas. I mean, defense, the passing. He knows where to be. He's pretty mistake-free. I think the shot... Matt, I think that's the in, bread and butter. Like, yeah, if, if, if he's not shooting it well, then he's like how Jabari Smith was this year. Yeah. He wasn't shooting it well. So, I think he can defend, but if he's going to... At least I think he's a good rim protector. But I just wonder the fit with, with, with Larry Mark and then, like, yeah. who's the three, who's the four. And so that's, that, that's my concern there. That's fair. I think, I think they can alternate with it. I think that a big difference for me with Jabari and him is uh, simply, one, he wasn't – I think he's more aggressive. And, two, the rim protection is just so much better for him than Jabari. And Jabari kind of – it was weird to me his rookie year. Maybe it's just a whole thing under the coaching and all that. But I feel like he wasn't an effective defender. Like, I thought maybe at best he was, like, slightly above neutral. And, and I don't see that happening with Hendricks. Okay. So number 10. So number 10, Dallas selected Casey Wallace, a Dallas kid. They selected him and then shipped him right up I-35 to OKC. But they got Man. the guy that I wanted Dallas to take. I had Mox Lively to Dallas at 10. I thought it was a good fit. I know you were, like, against it. Not quite. Not quite against it. I, I came around in the, in the last week or so. So he was against it. <laughs> I was okay. Here was my thing. I didn't want the Mavs to take him at ten. Mm-hmm. I didn't want them to say this is our draft. We are done. They did everything right, and that's why I think I like it a lot more. They got rid of Bertans. They saved a lot of money in free agency this year. They moved back two spots. They still took the same guy. Although poor Casey Wallace, I don't know. He might still be wearing a Mavs hat. That dude refused to take it off, and that might be because he was from Dallas. But. I like I like the addition of Lively because there's two things. One, he can rebound. Two, Which people have been in my comments saying he only averaged five rebounds. Uh, no, 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 rebound? no. If you look at, I posted a tweet. It's kind of probably hidden because I tweeted a ton tonight. But there's a tweet that I put out where basically, if you just look at his final 18 games, it was the Miami game and on. In the Miami game, he had like uh, I think it was 11, nine and five and something like that with like five blocks, nine rebounds, 11 board or points. And after that, from there on out, he averaged nine points a game, seven or seven points a game, nine rebounds a game, something like that. But he rebounded really well, and he blocked the ball. He blocked shots really well. And on top of all that, though, he catches a lot of lobs. And if you're playing next to Luka Doncic, what is the one thing as a big man you have to be able to do? Like, why is Dwight Powell still in the NBA? It is because he is so good at catching lobs. And he only averages four more rebounds than me and you. That's why Lively is, I think, I think he has the easiest job yeah. in this rookie class. All he has to do is set screens, rebound, run the floor. The Mavs were bad at protecting the rim. <laughs> I think he has the easiest job. I think he has a clear path to being first-team all-rookie despite the fact that he was the 12th pick. Now, are there any concerns about his toughness? That's one concern yeah. I have people ask me about. Is he is he tough enough? Well, and that's the thing. The first 15 games, no. He was very passive. But I think and then, part of that calf injury. Yeah. And I think really he also found a rhythm and that helped him be more confident. And the last, it was those last 18 games. I, I'd say maybe a handful where, yeah, he was a little bit passive and mm-hmm. shy in some of those. But And ultimately that's why the number numbers followed is hey, the toughness produced numbers. Yep. All right. So let's talk about... Some of the biggest surprises 
in this in this draft. What what was like the the biggest surprise? First thing that comes to you, Jed Howard at 11. I'm pulling up the the draft to make sure there wasn't something else, but Jed Howard with Jordan Hawkins and Grady Dick on the board was pretty shocking. Yeah, I, I didn't think Jet was going to go above Kobe Bufkin. I mean, nobody mocked that. It just shows you how we have no idea. It's all the intel that you think you can have. There was nobody that saw Jet Howard going 11. I think I had him at 20, and I thought he was going to be part of like a Rockets situation where they draft him at 20 and they move him. And I even thought the Rockets were going to move their pick, but when Cam fell to them at number 20, it's like, all right, there's no need to move this pick. We, we got two guys that could possibly be, you know, top five guys in this class, and we didn't have to make a trade. But what do you think about the Jet Howard fit? I mean, I, I have already mocked George Washington to Orlando in next year's mock because he would be the third straight one and done from Michigan. Uh, they have You're kept not up. talking about George Washington on your dollar bill. There's a guy named George Washington <laughs> that is a recruit that's going to Michigan. Who decommitted from Ohio State, mind you. So that makes him even more Michigan. Oh, so That's going to be, oh my so, gosh. So, They're going to. I'm just saying he's going to be their pick next year. You heard it here first on June, technically 22nd, 23rd, 2023. But uh, really, though, with Jed Howard, I, I like the fit. Um, in theory, because he is a shooter, I just I have one, I have the same worry I have with Caleb Houston. He was a good shooter, and I think he's more talented than Caleb Houston is. But what's he going to do to impact the game when he is not scoring? Because Caleb Houston was a massive negative this game this year because he mostly didn't score in most games. Is Jed Howard going to fall on that same path? And the Magic are trying to win. They got to decide what to do with that. So that that's what worries me. That's why I liked Grady Dick. He impacts the game in other ways. Jordan Hawkins impacts the game in a lot of other ways, like even more hands-on. I was shocked Jed Howard was the pick. All right, let's talk about shocks as far as guys that fell into the second round. Yeah. Like Leonard Miller's the yep. first name that comes to mind. I thought Leonard Miller was going to go 20. Max Lewis, I had Mac mocked in the 20s. He fell. 40. Gigi yeah. fell to like 45. Gigi yep. Jackson, that is. I mean, I, 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 I kind of saw it coming. Um, Trace Jackson Davis. Yep. yep. Fell to like what the second to last pick. 57 in out the of draft. 58. He's he's going to be in this weird situation where he falls super low but cracks the rotation. Uh, if there is a place to maximize his his outcome behind Kavon Looney and Golden State, which, by the way, they basically, at the last second, they said, hey, let's complete this Chris Paul trade. We'll give you Patrick Baldwin for this pick, uh, which is absolutely wild to think um, as a side note. But Trace Jackson and Davis Ryan learning. Too. Yeah, they traded away their whole draft from last year for Chris Paul and, and this pick. And Trace Jackson Davis really could be somebody who turns into a Kavon Looney type uh, Kevon Looney, I even remember at UCLA, like he did a lot more than what he does now. He had a more perimeter-oriented game at times. Yeah. And Trace Jackson Davis had to do a lot, but you got to scale down into different roles. I think Trace could potentially do it. Yep. Anything else you want to add in this draft? Um, I was Isaiah Wong got drafted. The the obligatory comment. Um, and then Mike Miles just one last one. I was kind of shocked he didn't get drafted, just because I had him so high and I've harped on him for three years now on this mm -hmm. podcast. Um, so for me, I think him being a Mav the two way, I think that was a great addition. I think he has a real chance to to break the two way and get a guaranteed contract by the end of the year. 
Yeah, I was surprised to see Kobe Brown go in the first round. Yeah. That was shocking to me. And then Pajemski at 19. I, I was stunned by that. I mean, I, I keep doubting him. Like, I keep, even though I, I put him on my preseason um, uh, draft guy, just based off of what I saw, what he, how he played for Santa Clara when they went on like a summer tour. But I keep doubting him. Like, I, I thought today I mocked him as high as I've ever done. I think I had him at like, I think I had him going to the Grizzlies at 25, but that pick was traded to Boston. And then he ends up going 19. And then Hakez, Jaime Hakez, he went 18. I, I didn't see that. I didn't see that at all. So that, though, and then like James Najee didn't go first round. Those are like some of the shockers that that come to my right. I mean, it's been a long night. I'm exhausted. It is. <laughs> this whole place is almost packed yeah, up. <laughs> packed it up. Then I got a long train ride back to back to uh, to Manhattan, and we're we're in Brooklyn right now. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast. We are live. The first one live here at Barclays. It'll be the first of many when me and Richard will be here doing live draft content. Summer League, you going to Vegas? Yes, sir. I'll be there first weekend. All right. We're going time. to Vegas. Oh, man. It's, first it's, a, time. it's a first time trio. Combine draft in Summer League. All in one. Trifecta. I absolutely hate <laughs> Vegas. <laughs> But I've been there a gazillion times because that's just where the basketball world is at. So we'll be doing content in Vegas too. Like who else? Like who, who else are you listening to that is at the combine, the draft, and we'll be in Vegas. We're we're in the gym. We are in the gym. Without well, wraps up this episode, and we are. <laughs>